Hey, everybody, this is episode nine of Artist Soapbox. Hello, and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring artists from the Triangle region of North Carolina talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. In this episode, I'm speaking with Jessica Fleming. Jessica is an actor, singer, and occasional stage manager and theater educator. She has been performing and working in the Triangle since relocating from Flint, Michigan five years ago. She's worked with Man Bites Dog Theater, Black Ops, and Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern, as well as many fantastic musicians and performing artists on a variety of projects. You may have just seen Jessica on stage at Man Bites Dog Theater as Ella in Life Sucks, and she'll be performing next in Lake Placid, an improvised play with music which opens November 24th at The Fruit in Durham. In this episode, we'll learn more about how Jessica manages the demands of a busy schedule, the experience of rehearsing an improvised play with music, and how to measure growth as a theater artist. Hello, Jessica. Hello, Tamara. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been an incredibly busy year for you in the theater scene. Would you give us an overview of the projects you've been working on during this busy season? Sure. Uh, it was really uh, kind of a fun project to look back at everything I've done. The, the quick breakdown is I've done four fully realized productions, five different singing gigs, two different ventures in teaching. There's an ongoing film project that I've been working on, as well as two more projects that are in development at the end of this year that will continue on into next year. So the magic number is 14 projects this year. This calendar year. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> that is a that's lot. That's even more than I thought. And I knew you were super busy. And some of those were short of short duration, but some of those, probably most of those, have overlapped either during the rehearsal process or during the performance and rehearsal process. Is that right? Definitely. Yeah. Some of the projects, um, specifically the music gigs, were kind of one-offs with a little bit of rehearsal in the kind of previous time. But looking at the last three shows I've done. So I stage managed Yes to Nothing with Little Green Pig. And once that opened, I immediately went into rehearsals for Life Sucks and Man Bites Dog. And once that opened, I immediately went into rehearsals again for Lake Placid. So it's been kind of a whirlwind, oh, I guess since the end of July, basically. Right, right. <laughs> so how have you balanced that this very full year as we come to the close of 2017? Yeah, uh, Quitting my day job <laughs> helped a lot. Woot, yeah. <laughs> really, I'm I'm lucky that I'm the type of person where I'm very much energized by doing creative projects, so I don't find myself exhausted at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Like, I might be tired, but I'm not, like, exasperated and mm -hmm. feeling like, oh, my, what have I done to myself? And really, it kind of boils down to just basic, what do I need to take care of myself? Like, checking in, do I get enough sleep at night? Am mm -hmm. I eating stuff that isn't complete? garbage mm -hmm. am I just doing other things that don't make me go crazy and just really checking in about like okay what do I need today what do I need to get done what things can be pushed back a little bit so I don't have to feel like I'm overextending myself because I've been in situations where I have felt burnt out mm -hmm. while trying to balance a lot of things specifically while I was still working my full-time job and doing theater on the side and I really was just like I can't keep grinding at this pace yeah. so I was really fortunate to make the decision it's like okay I'm gonna do the theater and the art full-time so I could kind of prep and stay, save my money and have a little rainy day fund so I can really kind of ride the wave and not have to worry about the money part of it for right now luckily 
So what point in the year did you quit your day job? Um, I left my day job at the end of April. The end of April. But you knew you were headed in that direction so you could prepare, save up, and kind of get your ducks in a row for that. Yeah, I had about four to five months of Mm -hmm. knowing that, like, this is what I wanted to do. And then the big catalyst for quitting my job was the opportunity to teach with Incubator, which Mm -hmm. is kind of an offshoot project of Little Green Pig. It's just kind of affordable actor training here. And we've also done some training as well in China. Mm-hmm. And when Jaybird asked me if I wanted to teach, I was like, I do. And maybe this is a good time to say goodbye to the day job. Right. And to transition <laughs> into this other lifestyle because you've been hitting it really hard since then with yeah. so many different things. But just to be clear, you you are a performer as an actor and a singer but you are also a stage manager and a teacher. And so all of those things have been operating at once over the course of this year, sort of many threads that are income streams for you. That's right. And did you notice once you quit your day job, did you approach your work differently, your artwork? It was just refreshing to not have to go from one thing that required a lot of my energy and attention to another thing that also required a lot of my energy and and attention. Mm -hmm. So I feel like really in the last last half of this year, I've really been able to give 100% of my focus and energy. And even though that might have been divided up into multiple projects at mm-hmm. one time, because it was something that I continue to be excited about and that really makes me excited to do, it wasn't, it was easy to make time for it. Right, right. It does make a difference when you're actually enjoying the thing that you're spending so much time and energy doing. Definitely. (laughs) Now, when you have these projects that are overlapping, is there something you need to do psychologically to kind of toggle between those two things when you're doing them at once? I mean, how are you thinking about these things? Yeah, I'm luckily I don't have too much trouble with kind of the streams crossing and Mm -hmm. kind of overlapping. Um, I'm just lucky that my brain kind of operates in a way it's like, okay, now I'm doing this and then I switch over to this Mm -hmm. and then I'm able to keep things pretty well separated And it probably helps that a lot of the projects that I'm doing aren't necessarily kind of live in the same spot in my brain. Uh, So I'm kind of able to kind of parse out what goes where. Mm -hmm. And really a lot of it, if it's a case of needing to learn lines, it's kind of like, okay, this two hour block today is going to be devoted to this show. Mm -hmm. And then I'll take a break. It's like, okay, maybe I'll go back to it. Or maybe it's like, okay, now I'm going to start working on this project Mm -hmm. and any of the loose ends I need to tie up for various other things. Right. So it sounds like you're very intentional about the way that you spend your time as opposed to kind of being like a mishmash of let's do a little bit of everything over the course of this one hour. Yeah. And I need, I need that structure. That was something that I learned pretty quickly after not having a regular job to be like, okay, this is what I'm doing from this hour to this hour. It's like, oh, I need to build structure into my life Mm -hmm. (laughs) or else this is all going to crash and burn. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned having projects that are taking up space in different parts of your brain. And I think this is a great moment to talk about how you must be switching gears pretty drastically between Life Sucks, which was directed by Jeff Storer at Man Bites Dog, and moving into Lake Placid, which is an improvised play with music. It's a Little Green Pig theatrical concern production, and it's directed by Jaybird Bird Oberski. So those are 
two fairly different projects stylistically. Pretty much everything that I can think of is different about them, actually. Oh, yeah. As, as I come to think about it. So just to give our, our listeners some context, uh, I looked on the Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern website, and this is what it says about Lake Placid. It says, set in upstate New York in and around the 1980 Winter Olympic Games. That's all we know as we offer a new show every night. So this is um, a cast of nine with guests, with a different guest every night, uh, an improviser, a local improviser who will be the guest. It has music by Louis Landry. It's directed, as I mentioned, by Jaybird Oberski, and it's showing November 24th through December 9th at The Fruit in Durham, which the day that we're recording this, that's next week you all open, like oh, yeah. right after Thanksgiving. So this is coming up and you just closed Life Sucks. Was it last week? Yep. <laughs> so let's talk about Lake Placid. Um, how is this, how was this rehearsed? Um, we've kind of broke it down into smaller sections. So ultimately the goal is we have a long form improv show that instead of starting with kind of an audience suggestion, we have been given a number of factoids by our dramaturg Richard Butner about Lake Placid and the late 70s and early 80s and just kind of little little tidbits about the Olympics. So that's kind of what we're using as our inspiration to start. Hmm. And really at the beginning of rehearsals, it was, okay, how do we get good at starting these scenes and just practicing coming together as two people, making a scene start and then ending it and then doing it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And then like, okay, let's start it and see where we go in five minutes and start incorporating more people. And it's like, okay, where can we go in 20 minutes? And we've just kind of been lengthening and lengthening it and figuring out how to make the arc make sense with the allowed of a lot of time we have. Mm -hmm. So really now as we're a week away from opening, it's really getting into the groove of, okay, what does this character do? over the course of, you know, an hour to an hour and a half. And mm -hmm. do we see them all the time? Do we not see them all the time? Are they just a drive-by character at some point? And then the music component of it has kind of been added more recently. And it's kind of a fun way to kind of energize a scene mm -hmm. or it really works a lot like musicals work, where sometimes you have these numbers that are we're kind of using to express something that the actor can't directly say to this other person or that we don't really have the words for, or there's just this tone and this moment. It's like, Nope, this song's going to happen here because the song needs to happen here. <laughs> so it's kind of a mix of this helping set the tone or just really communicating a point. Are you all singing? Uh, most everybody is singing. Yes. Do you know what you're going to sing? Yes. Okay, good. I was like, that's because... that, that, that is the one thing that is not improvised. Thank God. <laughs> I've seen the tra the transactors in a local improv group, and they're amazing. And I've seen them improvise musicals, and it is incredible and also terrifying to to me personally. Like it's 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 not terrifying to watch them because they're so cool and they're so great at it. But um, it, that seems like a lot to think about improvising music as well. So you know what you're going to be singing and everybody sings. Yeah. It's, and it's Louie will start playing underneath and we're kind of like, Oh, that's my song. I guess <laughs> I need to figure out a way to make this song happen. And then you got to go into it. And it's been at first I was like, I'm not really sure how this is going to work, but it's been a really fun and kind of exciting addition to this 
form of improv. So that's one of the structures, right? That you know that you'll be singing a song, you know what song you'll be singing. Mm-hmm. Are there other rules in place? Yeah, we, we're kind of playing as kind of a traditional long form or just kind of improv rules. Like we can tap people out of scenes if we want to switch in or we can again just kind of sweeping scenes to kind of edit and kind of bring to the next moment Mm -hmm. uh we have a few other little tools that or toys that we've called them to add to our version of this form uh one of them is this inner monologue moment Mm -hmm. where louis kind of has control and he plays the sound effect and he calls you out and it's like okay what is your character thinking right now and you just kind of do a direct address to the audience like what's going on in this character's head and we also have um, this kind of rule that we picked up from uh, these kind of like role, like live action role playing games where you can kind of step out of play, it's kind of out of play. And we have this gesture that we do hmm. if we need to ask the other actor a question or we want clarification. So that's just kind of a nice thing to be like, what's your name again? Oh, or, interesting. Or, or was the clapper a thing in 1980? Mm, <laughs> nice. Right. Right. Because how much do we remember about 1980? Was everyone born in 1980 in this cast? Yeah, not, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> we, might, we might be not quite at half. <laughs> That's so funny. So do you have a lot of improv experience? Yes and no. I feel like a lot of my work has some element of improvisation. I've done a lot of devising work, which... Mm-hmm. at its heart and soul is just kind of like you make something out of nothing which mm-hmm. is a lot of which is improv um but as far as the kind of structure of what most people see when they go see an improv show I have but not a lot of formal training in that so what is the attitude in the room about making a new show every night because I my guess is that most of the cast is of a similar background. I mean, everybody has a little bit of experience with mm-hmm. improv, but these aren't long-time improvisers. So how are folks feeling about doing this? I think people have gotten more confident as we've we've gotten into these things. I think early on, people were very precious about these scenes that we do. Because I think I had a fear early on of like, oh, that was really great. And we never get to do it again. Right, right. <laughs> we need to figure out how to bring this back. It's like, how do we make this magic happen every night? Right. So I think there was this kind of disappointment in the loss of these like beautiful moments and scenes. Mm. But that's kind of the thing with theater. It's all ephemeral. It's there mm-hmm. and then it's gone. Uh, and I think now people are getting into the group of like, okay, I liked that. How could I do something like that again? Or how mm. can I bring that energy? I think we're focusing more on the bigger picture of what was good and what felt good and what felt exciting and snappy versus this very specific thing with these very specific character types. Right, right. Now, do you have the same character every night? No. So everything switches. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see this. And I love that it is about, like, class at 19. It's 1980. Yeah. Do you know why they chose that? It's this sweet spot in American nostalgia of this kind Mm -hmm. of late 70s, this transition of decades. Mm -hmm. And I know Jaybird has this current fascination of this uh, sensitive male mellow gold music of that particular era. So I think it was just kind of a fun. It was like, why not? Why wouldn't wouldn't we do this show? And I think a lot of it is something that we've talked about at rehearsals is Little Green Pig doesn't do a lot of you know, quote unquote, nice shows. Mm -hmm. And it's like, let's just do something nice. Like that's that's right. (laughs) Because this is the family friendly one. I should mention that. That is, this is uh, unusual (laughs) for this company to do. So 
that means that that's another one of the kind of rules in the room, right? That you have to keep it rated PG. Yeah. So it's this kind of, ultimately, we want people to leave at the end of this show feeling good about, like, heart, there's a heartwarming moment that people aren't leaving feeling like they're going to be scratching their heads, like, what did I just watch? Or like, oh, that's Little Green Pig Mm -hmm. being weird and kooky. Let's just do, let's just do a nice show. Hmm. (laughs) Great for right after Thanksgiving and leading into the end of the year, too. holiday window yeah have some cocoa <laughs> go to lake placid watch some improv and this is the kind of show that people could even come to more than once because it will be different it will which be. is also really intriguing i mean shows are always different when you see them but oh, this yeah. could be wildly different yeah it will be just even the nights where we'll do kind of two longer sets of improv we find ourselves as going very different directions. Ah, right. Kind you of, mean in rehearsal. Yeah, because themes will kind of emerge as you start going, and then we'll be like, okay, let's start again. And it's a complete, like, different character feelings. Like, people kind of do a 180 with hmm. what they're like, okay, well, I'm going to do this this time. Or this is a fact about Lake Placid that I want to throw in there. This is a pretty large cast, nine people. Who is managing uh, the number of people on stage at any given time and whether or not person A gets the same amount of stage time as person B. Are you all in charge of that or is there somebody who's kind of watching that? Um, it's it's a group effort hmm. and it's it's very much we are all the editors and we all kind of have to have our eye on the on what's happening and thinking about, okay, what's my relationship with this person and this person, I haven't played with them yet. I think they're my boyfriend from high school, we're going to go have a scene. Mm. So it's really just feeling the group dynamic and what the scene needs and then what the story needs overall to kind of keep things moving forward. Mm. So it's been, it's been a lot of kind of learning to trust and how to, how to fit everybody on the boat and Mm -hmm. how to make sure everybody's taken care of has been, it's been a fun challenge. Did that come naturally through just the repetition of these improvisational scenes or was there an effort made to build the ensemble in other ways a lot of it was just kind of jumping in the deep end it's like okay we're gonna we're doing this all together and just we're depending on each other yeah it's like do it okay stop do it again stop do it again stop and just Mm -hmm. getting into the habit and kind of figuring out like okay this this person leans towards this kind of direction with their scenes or oh they're more into going this direction so kind of learning how to balance that with what mm-hmm. everybody brings to the table mm-hmm. one of the things i love about improv with a group over a long period of time is that it really necessitates building trust and with trans actors one of the things that i'm always struck by before they go onto stage is that everybody always says i've got your back i've got your back and i mm-hmm. i feel like what a wonderful thing to say to one another and to truly mean and that you know that you are depending truly on each other i think there's something really beautiful about the practice of that especially the repetition of the practice of that that you know is such a great life lesson not to get all woo woo but i really oh, yeah. do think that yeah i think it changes the way we approach our it changes the way I approach my art when I take that attitude as opposed to I'm up here by myself trying to be the best at my one single thing. Oh, and yeah. You all better be the best at your one single thing, too. It's just a different way of creating work, I think. And it's really this kind of 
everyone has the thing they're good at and everyone has the thing that they are not good at Mm -hmm. and knowing that's like okay well i can support you on this thing and it's how how do you build the thing together and Mm -hmm. it's not letting your ego get in the way and knowing that no one wants to be the weakest link and it's like nobody (laughs) nobody wants you to fail nobody wants to see a crappy show right right (laughs) so let's make a good show together it's like let's like Everyone wants you to do well. And it's like, if you can get out of your own way of like, oh, but I want it to be this way. It's like, no, maybe the group needs it to be this way. Mm -hmm. That really can make something bigger and better than maybe what you had in mind initially. It's like life lessons just like coming at you one after the next. The reality checks I've had after (laughs) the drive home of just like, this is what I'm like as an actor. Oh, this is what I'm like as a person. And just like letting that wash over me for a minute and be like, (laughs) okay, that's... That's not what what I was planning on thinking about tonight. Okay. Right. Who needs to pay for therapy when I could go to rehearsal and then drive home oh my with myself? My moody 70s music. <laughs> I want to pivot a little bit here. And yeah. as with every guest for Artist Soapbox, I communicate prior to our in-person interview about you know what we're going to talk about. And you and I exchanged some emails prior to this recording. I have the email here and I want to read it and then I want to talk about it. Sounds good. All right. This is what you wrote. (laughs) I'm definitely game to talk about Lake Placid and my never-ending quest to be the busiest woman in show business. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about the fact I've been making theater in some capacity for 20 years and it's got me feeling rather introspective or maybe retrospective. Specifically about what advancement and growth looks like for someone like me who doesn't really set benchmark-style goals or have, quote, dream roles and really pushes back against the idea of roles one would realistically be cast in. Also, how can I be a productive member of the theater artistic community in what feels like the beginning of a big something on the horizon? Really, I'm game to talk about whatever. There are so many juicy ideas in the email that you wrote that I I wanted to really take the opportunity to dig into those a little bit. And the first thing was that you wrote about this idea of really considering what advancement and growth looks like for, quote, someone like me who doesn't really set benchmark style goals or have dream roles um, and really pushes back against the idea of roles one would realistically be cast in. So there are several different ideas in just mm-hmm. those little lines, but say more about that. Yeah, I think I, I'm I'm reaching I'm reaching a point in my life where I'm looking back and being like, where how do I move forward from mm. here? Um, and you know, I think it's just a mix of being in my late twenties and seeing all of my friends in like the last five years go to grad school or start working with professional companies or even in their personal lives getting married having kids like doing all this stuff and it's like okay well what's my thing because Mm. I left you know the last thing I really did as far as like goals that young people have uh was finishing college and I really didn't love school Mm. like I've never been that person so the idea of going to grad school was always very unattractive to me and it's like okay well what what do what do I want like what do I what do I want the next step to be it's like how did how do you quantify that you've made a step when you don't really have that kind of grading scale to work off of and for me I think what I've really landed on is being really lucky to work 
on projects and work with people who do stuff that I think is interesting and stuff that has continually challenged me as an actor and as a person. Mm. And like speaking to Lake Placid, when I said yes to that project, I'm like, what have you done? (laughs) (laughs) What have you done? (laughs) But, you know, I was like, no, I need to do this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I can do this. I can do this. Mm -hmm. And with teaching this summer, I've had limited teaching experience but it's like well I trained people at my job and I've been doing this long enough then it's like okay I got something it's like let's just do it right and I had a great time with it and I think it was overall successful if I continue to do work that challenges something about my perception of myself as an actor I think that is ultimately how I can continue to keep growing and moving moving forward Mm mm-hmm do you think about yourself as an actor in a certain way or have you up until this point? And this is kind of going back to, you know, where I was, you know, a number of years ago when I left college was I didn't feel good about myself as an actor and mm-hmm. I was not getting great feedback about like what my type was because I was in a BFA program where they were very much curating you for going to grad school and auditions mm-hmm. and going to professional auditions. It's like, here's your packet of information about yourself and here's your audition materials and being really confident and what you're bringing to the table. And I wasn't really confident in that because I didn't know where I stood. Mm. And, you know, I think with continuing to do things that have kind of like pushing against the of like, okay, well, what type of actor am I? Mm. And I think I'm kind of coming to this point in my life where I realize I'm like, I don't fit in a lot of traditional molds as far as kind of what the American theater canon looks like. Mm. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that there's not a kind of finish line and there's not, I don't think I'm ever going to have a clear answer of like what type of actor I am. Mm -hmm. And I think if I continue to kind of keep, I I have to keep morphing. Like I, if you get stuck in a rut, then it's like, okay, that's great. And it's like when you peak, when you're at this point and it's like, okay, what do I do now? Right. Like if I've only ever thought of myself as, you know, the serious dramatic Shakespearean actor, it's like, okay, well at some point you're going to be, you know, too old or there's going to be somebody better than you or there's going to be this or there's going to be that. Or there won't be that part available for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so what else are you going to do? Yeah. It's just not getting hung up on this. Have I Like, I've never had this kind of, like, pie in the sky, like, saying with my idea of, like, dream roles. Mm -hmm. And it may come from this place of, like, there's nobody on stage who looks like me Mm -hmm. Um, or just not, you know, at kind of formative moments in my theater development having these kind of things of, like, oh, this is this is the thing. And I've been lucky in the last, you know, five years that everything I've done has been like, I would have never thought I would do this, Hmm. but this is awesome. Or Hmm. like, I would have never imagined that somebody would think I could do this role, Hmm. but I'm going to do it. (laughs) Do you have an example of something that kind of was a surprise for you? Like, I can't believe I was cast in this part and it changed me in this way. Um, I think most recently with Life Sucks, that was definitely one of those like, oh, uh, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> as this kind of role of this, you know, continually desired after woman who, who's confident and smart and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these wonderful things, but still obviously very, like, unsure of herself. I guess because in real life, I feel like a goober a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they call it acting. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this is kind of, you know, I think I, I might have a very warped perception of myself, mm-hmm. but I realize it's like everyone who meets me perceives me in a very different way. Hmm. Every, almost every project really I've worked on since I moved here, I'm just like, 
okay, yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> if you think I can do it, cool. <laughs> right, right. It, it's such an interesting thing that happens when people pick up on things that we don't pick up on ourselves, you oh, yeah. know, as, as possibilities that live within us. And then once we try that and it works, it just, I mean, really stretches my imagination about what I might be capable of. Oh, yeah. It's it's really because it wasn't a stretch for me to see you up there in that part. And also when I think of you, I don't I don't think like that you're a goober <laughs> as, a, as a side note. But but I think you have the, the capacity to be goofy and mm-hmm. funny and like all of that, as well as being, you know, very confident and um, reserved and desirable and all of mm-hmm. those things. And so I'm so grateful that that other people have seen that and now you feel more comfortable in that spot. Are there any parts that you are aspiring to? And it could be a specific or it could be just like, you know, I want to play an old man, you know, <laughs> a hermit and whatever. This is always something that I, I struggle with because people ask me all the time, like, like, what, like, what's, like, what's your dream show? Like, mm-hmm. what? And it's like, I never have an answer. Right. And I don't know if it's just because, like, I live under a rock and I just, like, mm-hmm. don't know what's happening in the outside world. I guess it kind of goes into this, like, I'm really, I'm really interested in what people see in mm-hmm. me just because it's like, I'll ride the wave. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll, I'll do it. I could do, like, it's a usually a male role, but mm-hmm. I'm doing because I'm a woman. It's like, okay, well, why do I want to do that? Because I feel like I'm actually going to bring something worthwhile to this character or because I just want to subvert the norm. Like, right, right. It's like, where, where does that feeling come from? And sometimes those dream roles, you sort of don't know that they're your dream role until you're in it. Yeah. You know? and, and there are lots of different ways that we can evaluate that. I mean, sometimes I've wandered into a show where I'm like, oh, God, I hope this is okay. And then I'm like, I love these people. <laughs> this has been, you know, changed my life. Yeah. And and so sometimes you don't know it till you get it. If there ever comes a point when you have to choose between projects, it sounds like one of the main criteria are is the level of interest that you have in the project is that right? Are there other things where you, that you would use to decide between opportunities? Yeah, I've I've been lucky that I haven't had to, um, outside of my bad schedule keeping, <laughs> had to like say no to projects. If I had to choose, I think it kind of boils down to like, is this going back to like, okay, how do I grow as an actor? Is this going to challenge me in a way that I should be challenged? Mm-hmm. And you're um, ready to be challenged. Yeah, right. and as I feel like. Sometimes it's nice to kind of do like the softballed easy mm-hmm. like thing. It's like, oh, of course I can do this. I've done this, you know, a bajillion times. Or it's like, it's not, it's not a hard, it's not a stretch. Mm-hmm. Right now in my life, it's like, I want to continue to do stuff that makes me work hard. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to let it be a, oh, yeah, I'll just, you know, make it work. It's like, I like, I right, right now I like the challenge. Mm-hmm. I like doing the thing that makes me uncomfortable because that is how I've grown significantly in the last, you know, five or six years. Right. Is doing the scary thing. <laughs> how did you get down here? Because you're not from here. Are you no. from Michigan? Yeah. So I lived in Michigan until I moved. Um, it was kind of all by chance. Hmm. <laughs> uh, my uh, boyfriend and I were living together and I was finishing school and I was very decided that I didn't want to stay in Michigan mm-hmm. um, just for mainly because the artistic theater community wasn't quite a great fit for me. Mm-hmm. And his family had 
relocated from Michigan to Texas and Texas wasn't a great fit. So they just kind of happened to land in North Carolina and Hmm. it kind of aligned with me finishing school. And we're like, all right, let's pack up our stuff and go. Hmm. (laughs) And then like everything just kind of has been by chance since then, which is very exciting uh, and kind of terrifying that fate has worked that way. (laughs) Did you start out auditioning or did you work as a stage manager and then kind of go into acting after that. Yeah, the first project I worked on when I moved here was stage managing Richie with Little Green Pig. And that was really, I just sent emails to a bunch of theater companies being like, hey, I just moved here and your company seems interesting and I like the work you do. And if you need help with anything, I'd love to start making that connection. Mm -hmm. And Jay got back to me and was like, cool, do you want to stage manage? Which freaked me out because I'm like, you don't know me. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, it's been great. And I was like, You got sucked into the machine. I did. I yeah. did. And really just from there, it was just then just meeting people and then doors were opening. <laughs> awesome. Speaking of community, uh, the, the second part of your email, you talked about how to be a productive member of the theater artistic community in what feels like the beginning of a big something on the horizon. What is the big something on the horizon? What were you referring to? When I said that, I meant very specifically in like the local kind of machinery of theater and arts. And like, what what is that going to look like? And there's a lot of shifting that has been happening and will continue to happen. And I've received many great gifts from from this community and these mm. people. It's like, okay, well, what can I do to continue to make this something viable? The biggest thing that kind of comes to mind is like, okay, well, space is becoming a very a very hot commodity. It's huge. And it's right. only, and when hasn't it been? Mm-hmm. But, you know, how do you continue to make space for art when we are getting elbowed out by big restaurants and, mm-hmm. you know, all these new fun and exciting things for all the new fun and exciting people moving to the area. Right, right. Yeah, I think it's a it's a huge question and one that we'll have to keep coming back to because it the, the reality is that the performance spaces are disappearing and the rehearsal spaces are disappearing. And by disappearing, I mean either completely going away or just pricing us out of what can be afforded. And so I think a lot about, well, maybe we need to change the way we make the work, but at a certain point, you need to have a space where people can come together to rehearse and to perform. And even if you yeah. shade that down to the minimum, you still need some of that, you know, and um, how are we going to do this? How are we going to move forward? And so it's going to take some creativity mm-hmm. and some collaboration and some transformation of the way that we think about how we operate here as artists because we can't just keep doing the same thing that we've been doing because it's not going to work. No, not and at all. I mean, it hasn't worked for a while, right? Uh, and it's it's certainly not going to work moving forward. No. <laughs> so, so what do we do? And, you know, one of the other questions I have about what you wrote is this idea of, you know, being a productive member of the – theater artistic community are we talking about being productive to the theater community or being a theater artist contributing to the larger community or is it both it's this kind of idea of a little bit of this giving back it's like how it's very easy as an actor type person who generally like sure i do stage manage i do other things but 
generally speaking, I am an actor. Yeah, that's your jam. Yeah. And it's like, how do I, like, it, I not that it feels like greedy to mm-hmm. be an actor, but by the time you are an actor, there's been a lot of stuff that has been handed down to you to make this happen. How do I, you know, keep, keep that, you know, chain of energy moving in a way that makes this practical or makes it just a touch more viable. Right. And especially like the thing that I kind of come to is like, okay, I'm an actor. I'm not really a writer. Mm. Like I don't have a great passion for directing right now. And I have no clue what it means to produce a show. What is the thing that I can do that is, you know, that can help keep this ball moving? Mm -hmm. I don't, (laughs) I don't know what that thing is, but it's like, I desperately am kind of thinking it's like, well, what, what needs to happen? Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes it's like the thought that comes to me is like, well, maybe I just need to make a space. Like maybe I maybe I'm the person who's going to make the new space that rehearsals can happen in and that shows could potentially happen in. But I also look at the like, OK, well, how do you balance the how many ever theater companies in Raleigh and Durham and how do you support these people in a way that's fair? Right. And how do you make it so people aren't feeling that their toes are being stepped on. It's like, oh, you're only favoring these people mm-hmm. or oh, only those people do that mm-hmm. with them. What is the conversation and then what is the next step to make it get successful? Because I, looking at a project like Yes to Nothing, you know, I was a little worried mm. from like the standpoint of like, how are we going to be received in these very non-traditional spaces? Mm-hmm. And it was great. I, the first weekend when we were at Slim's in Raleigh, there were so many regulars who were like, I never go see theater. Mm-hmm. I would have never expected something like this to happen here. And I think that's a great place to be. And I think if we can continue to find these opportunities to kind of go into these spaces where people aren't expecting to find theater, it's real easy to preach to the choir. Right, <laughs> it right. Is real, it is real. And that's always the thing. It's like, okay, how do you – this is a business. How do you get the – people who aren't coming in the door in the door right you go to where they are yeah like you build it and you know another product i worked on which i forgot in my count which brings it to 15 projects (laughs) (laughs) was this it was a project i worked on uh that matthew haker put on of this evening of shakespeare at burry bavana in raleigh Mm. where i can guarantee you most of those people don't usually go see a shakespeare show is that a restaurant yes it is and a restaurant in raleigh Raleigh. okay how did that work um there was it was this evening of I think four courses of food and in between these courses of food we did various scenes from a variety of Shakespeare shows Hmm. and early on I was like it'd be cool if we get people to show up and we were sold out Hmm. in no time because they have that type of audience this restaurant has this they're like they trusted that this restaurant was going to bring them something they wanted to see Hmm. so I have Never done Shakespeare in front of that many people before in my life. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating. I mean, it really challenges the way we think about where we can perform, who we can perform for, and sort of under what circumstances. I mean, perhaps we underestimate folks out in the world, right? Yeah. How do you get people interested in theater? And it's like some of the conversations, like, you start exposing them to when they're young. Mm-hmm. Fine, but if that show or those shows they go see don't mean anything to them or there's nothing in it that grabs them, then it doesn't matter. Right. And it's like, okay, then it's you go. It's it's that there's always there's always going to be moments of disconnect. Okay, well, we're just going to show up at your local neighborhood bar and hope you don't hate us. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. Or, you know, the the traditional, uh, if all it fails, just go out in public somewhere and start performing and see right. what happens. Right. There's a park. <laughs> Let's do a play. Right. Till the cops get called. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You contribute in many ways to this artistic community. Um, 
and you know one of those ways is just asking these questions and having the conversation and having the intention of continuing to be a generous soul. I totally feel you when you say being in a show is a gift, right? And being an actor with good people on stage is just such a wonderful feeling and experience. And so the there is this sense like, oh, I want everybody to experience this. And I want to like share the wealth and oh, spread yeah. the joy and because it's the awesomeness is there, you know. And so being that person is a way of being productive in this in this artistic community and you're just wonderful to work with. So because you've done so much, you have more things coming up. What is the next thing after Lake Placid? After Lake Placid. Luckily, things start to slow down and then I can start <laughs> reevaluating. Yeah. You're only doing one at a time. Before... <laughs> things start spacing out a little mm-hmm. bit more. Um, I have continued to work on a project with uh, Little Green Pig as a benefit to their patron patrons of their patreon campaign Mm -hmm. so there will be more of that project coming up into this year and into the next year this is one of the rewards for patrons only of little green pig theatrical concern uh folks who donate via their patreon campaign and um i think it's kind of under development but that's sort of that's what Mm -hmm. you're alluding to there yep cool and then after that um, and then the next major production I'll be working on will be at Man Bites Dog uh, in the early half of the year with, with one Tamara kissing. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> excited that we're cast. in this play together. I can't stand it. So this is The Moors. Yes. Directed by the fabulous Jules Oldendahl James. And um, when does that go up? February twenty second, I believe. Okay. So before, before you know it, that'll wow, be wow. <laughs> that's coming soon. I think we've covered a lot. I think so. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Tamara. Jessica Fleming, for this wide ranging and very interesting conversation. For information about today's episode and more, go to artistsoapbox.org. This episode was brought to you by the Soapboxers, official patrons of Artist Soapbox. If you would like to support this podcast, please do so via our Patreon site, www.patreon.com slash artist soapbox. And we're out. <laughs> <laughs>